Let's all stand this morning and appreciate the good singing and the good presence of the Lord in this place. I just feel like it's preaching time this morning. And uh, I want to say this, it's good to have Miss Gladys with us today. Isn't that a blessing? And uh, we're so thankful she's able to be here. You talk about a miracle of God and uh, her being able to, uh, she was in the hospital uh, in trauma unit for several weeks and then uh, therapy in the nursing home and was uh, finally made it back to her granddaughter's house and then now uh, she's able to be in church with us this morning. Well, I'll tell you, I thank the Lord for that. Been a faithful deacon's wife to this church uh, all these years and uh, Brother Jack's in heaven now, but uh, I tell you, salt of the earth, amen, and uh, we appreciate Miss Gladys, so glad she's able to be here and be in the house of the Lord with us this morning. If you'll turn with us to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter number one this morning, and uh, I tell you, I was coming over the hill, and uh, in fact, I uh, was intended to get to a Sunday school class this morning, something to take care of, but I was coming over the hill, and God just put this thought in my heart this morning, and so I want to be sensitive to the Lord and uh, prepared something to preach this morning, but I believe this would be God's will. Ruth chapter number one and verse number one. Ruth chapter one and verse number one. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Epaphrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. Thank you for the reminder of heaven, Lord, that we one day we're going to be home, and that may be today. I pray for that sinner that's nearest hell. God, I pray for their soul this morning that you might draw them to the foot of the cross. Lord, though I may be preaching on an entirely different subject, I know the Holy Spirit could do that work this morning in their heart. Lord, I pray you'll save them before it's eternally and everlastingly too late. Bless everyone that's in this building. God, I pray that you'll work in the invitation hour and do what needs to be done. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to draw your attention to these Three verses of scripture that we have read this morning and we're familiar with the story of Ruth and for the sake of time I'm not really dealing with the story of Ruth this morning. In fact, not really even dealing with Ruth herself. But when you come to this text this morning, there is four things I want you to note concerning this text that is important. First of all, there's the timing of this text. The Bible says that it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Now that's important because the book of Ruth lies between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. We know that Judges is a type of gloom and 1 Samuel is a type of glory as it talks about the anointing of God and, and the kingdom of God as it is swiftly and soon coming. And between gloom and glory, there's the book of Ruth which is a, a picture and a type of grace. Amen? Though I'm not preaching on that subject this morning, but the only way to get from gloom to glory is by the grace of God. Amen? There was a time in our life as sinners when we were in gloom and we were uh, without the glory of God and one day now because we are saved by faith and, and uh, through the uh, by grace through faith and thank God we are going to glory and going to that home that Brother Pointdexter sung about just a while ago. But it was in a time, the Bible says, when the judges ruled and the 
the book of Judges is a cycle of where the people of God are delivered and they uh, they repent and they go back into sin and God uh, brings chastisement upon them again. And many times that is a picture of individuals' life as God brings them out because of a failure to obey the word of God and do what God has said. They find themselves in bondage and God has to rescue them time and time again. And so it is a time and when the judge is ruled, that's the timing of this text. And then there's the trouble in this text. As the Bible says that there was a famine that was in the land. Now when you think about a famine in the word of God, famines are always a picture in a type of God's judgment upon his people. When famines would come, it would be the result of God's chastening and correcting hand upon the people of God. Whenever they would sin, it would cause a famine. And friend, you know that when you and I get away from God, when we stray and when we get away from the word of God, spiritually famines come in our life. Amen? In fact, the Bible talks about in the Old Testament that there would be a famine come that would not be one of food or of water, but would be one of hearing of the word of God. And we're living in that day when there's a famine in our land. You can't just go anywhere and hear preaching and teaching from the word of God like you used to. And friend, it's getting fewer as we get closer to the coming of our Lord. And so we see the trouble that's in this text. Uh, There is a famine in the land. Then not only there's the uh, trouble, but there's the towns in this text. As the Bible mentions two very important towns, it mentions Bethlehem and Moab. Amen? Now Bethlehem means the house of bread. And Moab, the word for Moab, means desire. But God said in the book of Psalms, he made it very clear that Moab was his wash pot. Amen? Moab was the place uh, uh, that all the filth and the grime was. Uh, Moab, uh, my friends, served the false gods and the false uh, idols of this world. And so we've got the house of bread and we've got the wash pot. I want to say the house of bread represents the church. Amen? This is the house of bread. This is the place where the people of God are fed. Amen? And uh, Bethlehem was the place uh, where God's people had come together. It was the place that had the blessings of God upon it. And can I tell you the only place, uh, my friend, outside the home in 2018 that has God's blessing and approval is the church. Can I get an amen? You see, I want to thank God for the home, but I thank God for the church. Amen? And my friend, the church should be nothing more than an extension of our homes. Uh, But then there is Moab, and Moab represents the world. And many times what happens, friend, is people will leave the house of bread, and they'll go down to Moab, and they'll live in the world. Amen? So there is the timing. There is the towns, but then there's the testimony. Because when we come to verse number two, the Bible gives the names of this family that is involved that left the house of bread and went to Moab. Elimelech, whose name means my God is king. Naomi, whose name means pleasant. Malon, whose name means sickly, and Chilion, whose name means pining or wasting away. When you think about the testimonies of these individuals and who they represent and what their names mean, each one of them represents a different testimony, not just in their family, but even in the day that we're living in. Every one of us has a testimony. We heard that preached on one night of, of the revival meeting this week, that we either have a good testimony or we have a bad testimony. 
testimony. And you know, we're living in a day when people uh, say, well, I don't care what people think about me. And I don't care in the sense of what the world thinks uh, in trying to fashion us and, and trying to mold us into what they want us to be. But I do care what the world thinks about my testimony as a Christian, amen? And our testimony ought to matter and who we are and how we live ought to matter. Here is a picture of a family that, my friend, they forfeited their testimony for their own self-gratification. They sold out who they were and what God had made them to be in order that they might live their life the way that they want to live it. Is that not the day we're living in today? There's this fourth thing that I want to draw your attention to this morning. And it's the truth of this text. Because when I come to verse number three, the Bible says in verse number two that they went to sojourn in that country. And then verse three ends by saying that they continued there. Here's a family that left Bethlehem, an entire family unit. They left the house of bread. They left the place of blessing. They went to a forbidden place that God said was nothing more than my wash pot because troublesome times came, lean times came, and so they moved down there and they make an awful decision. They go there just to stay, just to sojourn for a little while, but like the old song says, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay and sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Friend, that's exactly the truth that is in this text. They leave the place of blessing though famines were there and they go to a forbidden place that God said would have a curse and would never have his blessing. So the question came to my mind when I read this text the other day. I thought, how did this family get in such terrible shape? How did this family find themselves where they were at? I mean, why would anybody in their right mind that knew the scriptures, knew the word of God, knew the history of Israel, knew how much God had blessed them, why would anybody leave the house of bread leave the place of blessing and why in the world would they go to a place that had been cursed by God how did they get there what happened I'm preaching on this subject this morning on bossy wives backslid husbands and broken children because that's exactly how they got to where they are I'm not taking that title out of the context of the scripture away from it this morning. It is the three points that I'm preaching on today. The reason this family left Bethlehem and wound up in Moab was because of a bossy wife, a backslid husband, and uh, broken children. Now, I thought some of y'all would laugh when I said that, but y'all got the death look on me this morning, so I'm just going to drop the plow about three inches deeper and just plow her out this morning. Amen? But what I'm saying this morning is the very thing that ruined this family, is the very thing that's ruined a lot of families today. I'm telling you this morning, friend, when you think about this family in verse number two, they had the potential of being everything that God wanted them to be, and everything 
everything that they could have been. They were in the right place. They knew that they had the right heritage. They had the right principles. They had the right kind of teaching and the right kind of foundation. But a family that should have ended well ended in utter disaster all because of these very three reasons that we're dealing with this morning. You'd have never thought in Bethlehem you'd have had a family that was in such turmoil and such bad shape. Friend, they didn't get in this kind of shape down and down in Moab. It happened long before they got to Moab. It happened in the house of bread. And can I tell you, friend, in our churches today, we've got families sitting in our churches, good churches. Dad's got on a shirt and tie. Mama's got on a nice dress. All the children are fit to a T. And everything is picture perfect and looks foundational and faithful on the outside. But things are crumbling on the inside. Friend, before somebody leaves the house of bread and goes to Moab, things have to get in their heart first. Amen. Point number one, a bossy wife. You see, the Bible is very clear in chapter 1 and verse number 19. And Naomi's own testimony says uh, that so they went to until they came to Bethlehem and it came to pass that when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She said, I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. But why then call you me Naomi. Notice this. Seeing that the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. Now I'm going to tell you one thing about Naomi that she had that a lot of folks don't have nowadays. She had the honesty and the decency to own up to her own sin and her own lifestyle and she makes it very clear that she was the one that took the initiative. She was the one that was instrumental. She was the one that inspired them and that was influential in getting them out of the house of bread and getting them down to Moab. Can I tell you something, friend? The wife is not to be the leader of the home. Somebody say amen. The wife, my friend, is to be a supporter of the home. That wife, my friend, listen, she's to be submissive to her husband. She's to be sensitive to the needs of her children. She's to be, my friend, a caretaker for her husband and a caretaker for her home. But the wife is not to be a leader. Somebody say amen. We're living in a time when women want to lead in society. I'm not putting down women when I make that statement. Every godly woman, every spiritual woman in this building this morning will say amen to what I'm preaching because they walk with God and they know their place and they don't want to be the leader. They don't want the responsibility. They don't want the burden. God didn't frame them for that and God didn't give them the heart to lead but God gave them the heart to care and God gave them the heart to lead the home and a woman, a wife, she is to be a woman that is of a humble spirit. She is to be a woman that knows her place, a woman that loves her children and supports her husband. She's to be a woman that holds up the hands of the priests of her home. And she's to be a prayer warrior. She's to be faithful. She's to know how to cook and to know how to clean. She's to have Christian character. She's not to be long-tongued. She's not to be a gossiper. She's not to be a backbiter. She's not to be a troublemaker in the church. She's not to be someone that brings a shame upon her children and grief unto her husband. Y'all still with me this morning? I'm talking about a bossy wife this morning. I'm talking about that woman with a firm jaw and her hand on her hip. Amen. Come on now. Women, at least y'all amen me this morning. Your husband's too afraid to. 
Amen. If he ain't got the guts, you have them this morning. Amen. I'm talking about a wife, uh, uh, listen, that uh, that loves her husband. A wife that is faithful to her husband. I'm not talking about a woman that's mean-spirited. I'm not talking about a woman that's manipulative. Amen. I'm not talking about a woman this morning that's mouthy. Somebody say amen. A spiritual woman is not someone that's casting her two cents in on everything that comes on. She's not opinionated. Amen. She's prayerful. She's careful. She knows her place. Uh, she'll hold her tongue. Uh, she's got virtue. Is that right this morning? I'm telling you, that'll make a man want to come home at the end of the day. A woman that'll take care of him. A woman that'll love him. A woman that'll clean the house. You say, well, things are not the way they used to be. Well, then you need to get them back the way they used to be. You need to get right with God. You say, well, he's not the way he was when I married him. Well, you aren't neither, amen? But you can do better than what you're doing right now. You need to love your husband and support him. Hallelujah. We're living in a time when women talk about their husbands. It's going to get worse, I promise. Y'all just hang on. I'm going to tell you, I don't care if a woman can shout the house down. She'd run her husband down. I wouldn't give a nickel for her spirituality. Is that right? I don't care if she's got the gift of gab. I don't care if she can testify. I don't care if she can shout. Hey, I'm not at, I'm not uh, grinding no axe. I'm just preaching this morning. Amen. Uh, listen, I'm telling you, listen, there's a lot of churches been ruined because of some long-tongued Jezebel that didn't know how to keep her mouth shut. Amen. There's a lot of homes been tore apart because of some woman uh, uh, that my friend, listen, uh, uh, she had to go around and tell all of her business. Uh, there ought to be privacy in the home. Uh, there ought to be respect for the husband. You ought to hold him up. You say, well, I can't say a whole lot good about him. You ought to never say nothing bad about him. Amen. You ought to never put him down. You say, well, he's got a lot of problems. You ought to pray for your husband. Amen. I got news for you. You didn't marry a winner the day that you married him. You thought you did. Because love is blind. We all saw him for who he was. Amen. It just took you a few years. Some of you have seen him quicker than others have. But you remember the day you married your husband? You loved him, didn't you? You stood by his side. You wanted to support him. You made a vow that said, till death do his part. You promised to care for him. You promised to take care of him. And you ought to keep that vow because you didn't just make it to him but you made it before God and before men. Vows ought to mean something. They mean something to God. God said it's more, it's better not to make a vow than it is to make one and break it. And the marriage vow ought to be sacred. Somebody say amen to that. Brother, we're living in a society when we don't hear it preached much anymore. That's why divorce is at an all-time high. And I feel sorry for people that's been divorced. I wouldn't punish anybody that's been through a divorce this morning. But if I can help somebody else from going there, I need to do that this morning. And anybody that's been through a divorce that is right with God would say, preach on, preacher. If you can save my children or grandchildren, go ahead. And listen, I feel sorry for people that's had to suffer the pain and the agony of that. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you've got a good husband, you ought to thank God for that. Amen. He ought to come home to a clean house. He ought to come home to the beds being made. He ought to come home to a decent meal. Somebody say amen. I'm not talking about McDonald's and Taco Bell. I'm not talking about something come out of a microwave. You ought to know how to cook and you ought to know how to clean. And if you don't, get you a book and find out how to do it. Somebody say amen. 
Isn't that right? Y'all know how to do laundry. You girls all don't know how to do laundry. Put creases in pants. Wash clothes. Amen. Not your pants. Amen. Your husband's pants. Let me make that clear this morning. Y'all know how to y'all know how to fold clothes. Is that right? Am I telling the truth? Y'all know how to dust. Y'all know how to clean a toilet. That's from the top to the bottom. I'm a man and I know that. Amen. And you clean the inside. Is that good this morning? I'm just so you say, well, preacher, that's so simple. Yet, yeah, but we're living in a society that does not know those things. We're living in a society that doesn't know how to take care of things. Amen. Hey, listen, if you're a wife here this morning, you ought to keep a good house. Amen. I know if you live in it, it's going to get dirty and it's going to get nasty. It don't have to look like a museum, but my Lord, it ought to be clean. Amen. There ought not be six inches of dirt on the baseboard. Amen. And listen, there ought not be food under the, under the cat or under the stove somewhere. Y'all hang with me. Amen. I'm telling you, listen, there's some homes uh, I've been in. Listen, the flies wouldn't even land there for fear that they'd be taken away by the stench. Amen. I'm telling you, that's the day we're living in. And you know, we're living in a society that used to, you had to preach against women staying at home and watching soap operas all day. They'd watch as the stomach turns and Hell's Hospital and Young and the Ruthless, you know, all them things. But now if they don't watch that, you know what they do? They sit at the house and tell their life story on social media all day long. They're still running around in their pajamas at three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm telling you, friend, listen, they hadn't brushed their teeth, hadn't combed their hair, and they wonder why their husband always wants to work late and doesn't want to come home. I'm telling you, friend, your home ought to be a little heaven on earth. There ought to be some gospel music playing in it. It ought to be clean. There ought to be a good meal sitting on the table every now and then. He don't have to have a seven-course meal every night. But my Lord, if all he ever gets is hot dogs and bologna sandwiches and pizza... Come on now. You can't expect him to survive on that. His blood pressure is going to be 300 by the time he's 35 years old. I mean, he ought to get a, he ought to get a meal cooked out of the skillet at least twice a week. Isn't that right? Amen. With a little bit of grease in the bottom of it. Come on, y'all. I'm just preaching to 130 today, so y'all just hold on. Amen. I'm just telling you. Hey, when I was growing up, I heard this kind of preaching all the time. And it was good then, and it ought to still be good now. I'm telling you, people used to say amen. And my friend, women knew how to sew. They knew how to mend. They knew how to take care of their house. But now they don't hear any of that anymore. And people sit tight-lipped and locked jaw for fear somebody's going to get mad. I'm telling you, if I had girls still living at home... I would teach them how to be a homemaker. Amen. I would teach them them things. I wouldn't teach them. Let me back up. Because I didn't teach them. Lord, if I taught them how to cook and clean and sew, we'd all be in trouble. But their mother did. They can make a pony cornbread. Amen. They can make a Johnny cake. Somebody say amen. I was preaching that one and a girl came up and she said, what's a Johnny cake? I said, Lord, you're in trouble. And you don't even know it. Amen. They ought to be able to make some cat head biscuits. Isn't that right? They ought to be able to fry up some sausage and some bacon. Come on now. They all know how to make gravy. And I'm not talking about that powder stuff. You get in a bag. Somebody say amen. 
I'm talking about taking some old-fashioned white lily flour and some milk, amen, pouring it together and putting a little bit of bacon grease in the middle of it and dropping a little bit of sausage down in it, amen, until it's good and lumpy, amen, and letting it run over that biscuit, amen, like water running over a rock, amen. And I'm telling you, friend, when they crack that biscuit open, they ought to be manna coming out of the top of it and they ought to be Holy Ghost steam coming off of it, amen. I'm talking about they ought to know how to cook, amen, when they crumble that delicious. When they crumble that uh, that, that uh, cornbread up, it ought to look like white sand in a glass, amen. I'm telling you, listen, they ought to cut an onion and put it right in the middle of it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Hey, that's survival food. Somebody say amen. I'm talking about whole potatoes, amen, uh, sliced up in a, in a big old bowl uh, and then put in a crock pot, put in a pot uh, and boiled in water or mashed real good or fried real good. Uh, you preach that nowadays and women don't even know what you're talking about. Hey, Idaho don't come in a box. Somebody say amen. Scared me to death. I mean, any woman ought to know you can't start with powder and wind up with a lump. Amen. Isn't that right? I'm talking about cook and clean and take care of, of your husband. You say, preacher, why is that so important? Because it's the responsibility of the wife. I don't think there's nothing wrong with a husband helping their wife. But there's something wrong when he's got to work all day and work all night. Amen. There's something wrong. Used to his dishes piled up for three days, but now it's three days of bags in the living room. Is that right? Because they don't cook much anymore. Run down to the restaurant and throw it in a bag and, and eat it and let it lay around for two days. Is that right? I'm telling you, I mean, it smells like the city dump. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just saying this morning, we need, some, we need a revival of womanhood today. When women have decency and character and respect and they know how to take care of a house, they know how to take care of a husband, they know how to take care of children. I'm going to tell you, this woman got this family in trouble because she got her way. Now, ladies, I want to tell you this morning, you can't be in charge and have a godly home. You say, well, my husband's not godly. There's a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter for that. You're to pray for him. But you're to still have your, you're still to, you're still to carry for your responsibility as if he was godly. Because by your chaste conversation, lifestyle, you may win your husband, the Bible says. It's never right for the woman to be in charge. Bossy wives, boy, I'm telling you. What about backslid husbands? You see, God dealt with Naomi, because she was instrumental in this home falling apart. But he judged Elimelech because Elimelech was responsible for this home falling apart. And men, while our wife can be an instrument to, to prod us in the right direction or in the wrong direction, we must remember they may be instrumental. She was instrumental. But we, we are the ones this morning that's responsible. Brother, I'm telling you the reason they went to, Beth, to Moab was because the head of the house made the final decision 
we'll go. We'll listen to what you say. We'll do what you, maybe she made life hard, but that's not an excuse. He went ahead and said, we'll go to Moab. And God killed him in Moab because he was responsible. God judged her in Moab because she was instrumental. I'm saying this morning, that's not just bossy wives, but it's backslid husbands this morning. When you think about the husband this morning, I mean the husband is to be the provider of the home. Isn't that right? That means he's to get up and to go to work every day. Somebody say amen. He may have an office job. He may have a, a blue-collar job. It doesn't really matter as long as he's bringing the, pay ca- uh, the paycheck home at the end of the day. It doesn't matter, listen, if he's got some job that, that looks great in society. It doesn't matter if he's a ditch digger or if he's a banker this morning. As long as he's providing well for his family, amen, as long as his wife can rest at ease and know that at the end of the day, while she may have to help him and make it in this walk of life, uh, she has to know that the responsibility of being the breadwinner is not on her shoulders but it's on his shoulders. Amen. You may be a one income family this morning and there may be a lot of things you don't have but I promise you there are things that you have that riches and money cannot buy. Amen. And I'm telling you this morning I I did it all of my life. We had to get by and sometimes we had to do without but only to find out that that's good for all of us in life. We don't have to have the latest and the greatest. We don't have to have any think that impresses anybody but we do need to have God. Amen. And I never wanted my wife to lay in the bed at night and wonder how she is going to pay the bills and wonder how she is going to make the rent and wonder how she is going to pay the light bill. I'm telling you that responsibility is upon every man in this room this morning. You're to be the breadwinner. You're the one that has to pray and figure it out and yes you're the one that has to labor. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you we're living in a lazy society today. Men that will not work, amen. I'll tell you, listen, I wouldn't care if I had to stand on the corner this morning with a sign that said free ditch digging, amen. I'm telling you, I would. It, God intended for men to work. Somebody say amen. Brother, it's not good for a man to sit at the house all day long. That was not the will of God. Now, I understand retirement when you've worked your life, and, but most of those men that have worked their life and they're in retirement, they've got responsibilities and things they're doing because they have such a work ethic that it's not in them to sit there on the front porch until they get to where they physically came. They just don't want to sit there and watch the grass grow. Amen? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a younger generation that lives on food stamps and lives on, uh, uh, listen, all kinds of government help, uh, and there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, they could get out and work. Uh, there's no decency and there's no respect. Uh, and you always getting a handout. Amen. And brother, there's, listen, if you got a handicap, that's one thing. But when your handicap's lazy, I just say, man, you need to do something about it. Go get you a job uh, and do what God called you to do. Work and provide for your family. Amen. Nobody wants to crawl out of the bed at five o'clock in the morning and go to work. But it helps you. I remember when I worked on a public job, I got up 4.30 every morning and I went to work and worked 12 hours. And I want to tell you something, I'd wake Saturday and roll around and I'd tell myself every Saturday, I'm going to sleep till 7 o'clock. Guess what? At 4.30, I was wide awake. I couldn't sleep. But now on Monday when 4.30 rolled around, I felt like I'd been hit by a Mack truck. And my flesh would say, hey, oh, don't you want to stay here 30 more minutes? And I'm going to tell you something, it's good for men to get up in the morning time. Is that right? 
Brother, I'm telling you, if you lay in the bed till 9, 10 o'clock, listen, and lay there and sleep until the sun warps your feet, you need to get up and get you alive. Somebody say amen. Brother, listen, you need to learn how to work and sweat. Amen. Everybody, every man ought to sweat. Isn't that right? Listen, you'll lose 20 pounds if you'll just go to work. Isn't that right? I mean, be somebody that's a man. Let your wife respect you because you go to work and you bring home a paycheck and you put food on the table and clothes on their back. I'm telling you, work for your family and tie up to your church and pay your missions. Amen. Be the one that writes that check out because you've paid the bills and you've honored God. I'm talking about God honors that and God blesses that. Amen. I look at this younger generation of 17, 18, 19, and 20 year old boys and they run around in these skinny jeans and these tight clothes and they're limp-wristed and they've never, they don't know how to start a lawnmower. They don't know how to run a tractor. They don't know how, they don't know how to clean a shotgun. They don't know any of those things. They don't even, you can raise a hood on that. And listen, I mean, they don't know no more about where the dipstick is uh, than their wife does. Amen. I'm telling you, listen, Freya, you ought to learn some things in life. Uh, you ought to learn how to be a man. Isn't that right? And you ought to work and provide and pay your bills. Isn't that right? Don't always be robbing Peter to pay Paul. Isn't that right? Well, there's no respect in that. You know, if you can't pay a bill, the least you can do is call somebody up and say, I don't have the money, but I'm working on it. And while I'm on the subject, don't borrow money from somebody in the church. Somebody say amen. That's right. The church isn't a loan company. We're not a bank. You say, well, I owe somebody. Well, you ought to try paying them. Amen. I don't care if you pay them $5 a Sunday. You ought to pay them something every Sunday. Amen. Don't act like, you know, them bills don't go away. Can I get it? Boy, I'm really plowing it out now. We're going to get down a little bit deeper. Amen. Them bills don't go away. Amen. I mean, people go buy something. They'll enjoy it for a little while. And then they'll send it back. Or they'll act like it never happened. No, it's, it's still there. Isn't that right? I remember one time my kids were in Christian school. I couldn't pay the school bill. I mean, I was paying everything I could, but I couldn't pay the bill off. And then my schedule got busier, and I didn't want to be away from the family, so I, I started taking them with me. Took them out, started homeschooling them. And when I left the school, I still owed a school bill, and I told them this. I said, now, I still owe X amount of dollars. I said, and I was paying every month, but it just wasn't enough, you know. I said, uh, but I had went in and talked to them about that. They said, that's fine. As long as you're paying something, it'll be fine. And what I was paying was very, very, very little. When I left that school, I told the principal, I said, now I'm going to continue to pay this bill. I said, it may take me a long time, but I will get my bill paid. Yes, yes. Well, I got my income tax. When I got my income tax, that's what me and my wife said, well, we're going to pay that school bill off. Amen. Went down to Dogwood Christian Academy, paid the school bill. i never forget what the principal said. He said, you're the first person that ever left the school and actually came back and paid the bill. I said, are you serious? I said, well, you didn't think you meant it. I said, on top of not, you, your kids being in school, you was a preacher, so we really didn't think you meant it. I said, well, I'm sorry it took me so long, but I said, I do. And by, only by the grace of God. Brother, I didn't get that. That's in this book, but I didn't get this out of this book. You know where I got that from? I had a drunkard daddy. It told me, he said, son, if you make a bill, you pay for it. 
And he said, boy, if you make a bill, don't you come. Now, if, he, if you needed food, he said, I'll feed you. But he said, if you make a bill, don't you come here asking me to pay your bills. He said, you're living at home right now, and I'm paying your bills. And said, if you can't make it, you need to stay home. Somebody say amen. amen. And you know what? I thank God for that. It's no pin, no rose on me. I'm telling you, that's just the society that we grew up in. But now we grow up in a society that thinks everybody owes them something. This world doesn't owe you nothing. Amen. Society doesn't owe you anything. Boys, you ought to get you a good education. That's why you ought to make good grades in school and not cheat while you're in school, but give an honest day's schoolwork. And then you'll give an honest day's work on the job that gets you a good education. And then whatever job God gives you in society, give an honest day's work and get an honest day's pay. And if you can't afford it, then don't buy it. Amen? Because if you can't pay for it, you don't need it anyhow. Amen? And there's a lot of things in life I'd love to have. Going down the interstate, I see things sometimes and I marvel. Do y'all ever do that? I was coming down the interstate here. It's been a few months back, me and my wife. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. Man, it wasn't nothing but highway. And, uh, and it was as flat as it could be. And I looked back in my rear view, I looked in my rear view mirror and I saw the headlights of a mean machine. It wasn't a tractor trailer neither. It was, I mean, it was a four-wheel jacked-up pickup truck. I mean, it looked like it had enough lights on there to light up. I mean, the, it, you could have lit up a football stadium. And it's coming down through there, I mean, at a high rate of speed. I was doing, I was doing more than I should have been doing. Let me put that. <laughs> I just wanted to get home. But, I mean, it, looked, it come down that road like I was sitting still. And brother, I'm telling you, I got over in that slow lane, running about 80 miles an hour, and it come past me, had, had to be doing 95 miles an hour, had to be. And when he passed me, you won't believe this, he was pulling a speedboat. I told my wife, I said, what, what, I won't even think what I'm, I thought, who, how crazy are people? You're riding 95 miles an hour pulling a speedboat in the middle of the night, you've lost your mind. I thought, I don't know where he's headed, but he's in a hurry. And I'll tell you, it wasn't but about six miles down the road. He got stopped in a heartbeat. He saw the blue light special. But when I saw that boat and I saw that truck and I saw all them lights pass me, I thought, my goodness. If I had that much money tied up and wrapped around me, I wouldn't be driving 95 miles an hour. I'd be driving about 50 miles an hour, wouldn't you? Aren't you amazed at how people spend money in this society? Like it's going and coming. You know, God teaches us to be good stewards of our money. Isn't that right? Not to waste our money. We don't, I think you can have nice things. Nothing wrong with that. But brother, I'm going to tell you something. If you pay $75,000 for a truck, if you're making a million dollars a year, help yourself. But I'll tell you, isn't it crazy the prices on trucks and cars nowadays? People buy them like there's nobody's business. If you gave me $80,000, I'm not buying a pickup with it. Somebody say Amen. Something I got to maintenance and get rid of in 10 or 12 years and rack miles up on. I don't know if y'all are with me, but I'm talking about if I had 80 grand, I'm living in what I'm buying. Amen. Is that right? 
Brother, I'm going to be able to flip a switch on and light, light come on. I'm going to turn something and water come out. It's going to be a place for me to lay down if I'm spending 80 grand on something. I'm not running up and down the roads, amen? And listen, it may not suit everybody's fancy, but who cares, amen? Let them pay the high dollar. I'd rather buy something a little bit less and be able to tie to my local church, give to missions, amen, and do something for that has some eternal value. I'm just saying this morning, you're to be a provider for your home. You may have to give up some toys when you get married. I'll tell you, you ought to love your wife this morning. You ought to come home to her when you get off work. Somebody say amen. Brother, I'm telling you, a backslid husband is a man that's always finding something else to do other than be at home. When you punch the clock, you ought to go home to your wife. Amen. You ought to want to go home to your wife. You ought to want to be around your family. I've seen men get married and almost get bitter because they got a wife or they got children because they can't do the things they used to do. And they want to live married like they lived when they were single. Oh no, you gave all that up when you got married. Amen. You made a vow and you're to be with your wife. You're to be with your children. You're to love them and care for them. They ought to see your face in a regular, on a regular basis. And I know sometimes job schedules change. I'm not talking about that. But they ought to know daddy's coming home at the end of the day. They ought to know about when he's coming at home or they ought to know if he's not at home he's still at work and he'll be home when he gets done I'm talking about that's the kind of provider your wife ought not worry about where you're at and what you're doing and if you're not working you ought to take her with you somebody say man you mean we ought to be together all the time preacher you ought to want to be together all the time I mean you ought to want to spend time together that's the way God blesses a home amen you can't live with your parents all your life somebody say amen when you get married move out amen is that right? Uh, there might be some circumstances for a while, but who wants to live that way? Can I get an amen right there? Talking about being a provider. Love your wife. Your wife ought to feel appreciated. Don't ever talk down to your wife. Don't ever make her feel, I'm going to tell you something, if you don't love your wife, the devil will send somebody by who will love your wife. It's happened too many times, hasn't it? I watched a man get so busy in the ministry. I couldn't see it at the time. I knew the man was busy. He was always going one way, his wife going another way. And one day he told me, he said, preacher, he said, we just grew apart because we didn't serve God together. And I'm talking about in the ministry. Brother, if it happens in the ministry, it can happen in this world that we live in today. Love your wife. Appreciate her. Hold her hand. Tell her she's special. Amen. Buy her some flowers. Buy them when they're not on sale. Come on. Spend a little bit of money. You say, well, preacher, we ain't got it. Sell a gun. If that won't prove to her you love her, I don't know what else would. Spend some money on her. You can be a tightwad somewhere else. But you ought to invest in your church and you ought to invest in your wife. Amen. I mean, she ought, listen, she ought to be taken care of. She ought to be loved. I'm talking about, listen, I don't care if a man can quote scripture and shout. If he's not good to his wife, he ain't right with God. I've preached meetings and listened to pastors talk to their wives, say things to them and embarrass them. Boy, it'd fire me up. I wouldn't say anything, but it'd fire me up. As far as I was concerned, the revival's over with. 
Amen. You said, don't you, do you and Sister Gravely ever argue? Not much. But when we have one, we have a good one. <laughs> we make up for all them other times, don't we? I tell you something about us. I don't like to tell much about us, but I tell you something about us. We can't stay mad. You can't go have prayer together. You can't go have your devotion. Mad at your spouse. If you're sleeping on the couch, you need to come to altar this morning. Amen. If you put him on the couch, you ought to come to altar this morning. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Get right with each other. You don't never know when they're going to draw their last breath. How would you like to get mad at your wife and say, well, I'm sleeping on the couch tonight and her die in her sleep. Amen. You see, God, this is something the Lord reminded me of oftentimes. The things in life, children, our children, our spouse, the Lord gave them to us. He could take them away from us. My kids were growing up. I had a fear. I reckon, I don't know if you call it a fear or what it was. It was a reminder, I can at least say that. To spend as much time with them and to love them. And even though I was in the ministry, we, we'd spend as much time with my wife because I never knew when that might be my last day. Amen. You ought to kiss them on the cheek and tell them you love them every night. They may wake up in the morning, but you may not. Wouldn't that be the best thing for your child to remember? Is to hear you say, I love you before you go home. I'm saying this morning, we take for granted our family oftentimes. Backslid husbands, so much more. Let me finish here, but I want to say spiritually, husband, you ought to be the leader of your home. You ought to pray for your, you ought to lead in family altar, family devotion. You ought to be a man of faith that your family has confidence in, that you're going to trust God, that you're going to lead your, listen, you ought to be the spiritual leader. Don't be carnal all the time. If the only thing you ever talk to your wife about is carnal things, you'll have spiritual conversation with your wife. And when you have a spiritual conversation, make sure that what you say to her is full of faith. Amen. Don't talk to her about spiritual things and use, and use worldly terms and worldly psychologically. I mean, you ought to be able to quote some scripture and give your wife some spirit. You know what that woman needs? She needs to hear her husband take the Bible and take the word of God and expound it. He don't have to be a preacher. He don't have to be a teacher, but he ought to be a spiritual leader. He ought to, he ought to be able to take that book and reassure her when she's concerned about things. He ought to take the Bible and give principles from the word of God. You're going to have to study your Bible if you're going to do that. Listen, you ought to do, it ought to be more than just, well, I heard this priest or well, I heard that priest. Oh, no. Listen, you ought to take the Bible and give chapter and verse and lead your home in a spiritual realm. And then I want to say lastly, and I'll be done in about five minutes. Bossy wives, backslid husbands, but what about broken children? You see what these, I know these children were, young, were adults, but you know what they were? They were the product of a broken home that fell apart long before they got to Moab. I tell you, this, this home fell apart sitting on the front row of a good church. When mom and dad's life began to fall apart, the children had really no hope. Them boys just followed their parents, trusting that it was the right thing. You know, that's what children do. And by the way, I hear parents make statements like this. Well, you know, you got to let them grow up sometime. Or you know, well, they got to make some decisions for themselves. Where's that in the Bible? You ever heard that? Well, you know, you just got to let them make some decisions for themselves. Where in the world is that in this book? 
God never said, you let your kids make decisions for themselves. It's like putting a dog in the backyard and say, well, you, you figure out how you're going to feed yourself. You've you, you got to make some decisions for yourself, you know, in life. No, no, no. God gave you children to train, to teach, to learn, to correct, to decide for. Thank God I had parents who were not even saved. But there was no decision. We were bottom of the totem pole in our home. <laughs> we never got asked anything. My dad never looked at me one time and said, so what do you think about this? <laughs> My mom never looked at me and said, well, how do you feel about it? Well, that was, people's crazy nowadays. Y'all read too many psychological books. You've, you've listened to too much Oprah. Amen. Amen. You've watched too much View. God help if you watch that. But you don't let kids make decisions. I know it's twelve fifteen, but I'm still preaching right now. Listen, you boys have no opinion until you get married. You girls have no opinion until you get married. You have one commandment in Scripture, and that's to obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. There's no verse in that Bible that says, well, you know, they're 18. They've got to make their own choices now. Where's the chapter and verse on that? They live in your house. You pay the bills. You make the decisions. You make the rules. They follow them. Is that right? That's right. Because here's why. They are fighting the battle of their life. They've got more emotions than they know how to handle in their teenage years. They're going through transition after transition after transition and what they need is not some parent to look at them and be their best friend and say, well, what do you think about it or how do you feel about it? They need a parent that will rise up and be a strong leader and say, well, now listen, here's what you're going to do. And this is what's right. And I can tell you from experience. You know what that is? There's security in that. They may not appreciate it now, but they'll appreciate it later. They may not thank you today. You may be the meanest parent on planet earth. How many of y'all have ever been the meanest parent on planet earth? I wore that title for about three years. Champion of the world. But there always comes a day in all of our lives when we look back at our parents and say, thank you. I think a lot of parents, they want the reward today when it don't come today. It comes later. Whip your children. No child should ever go through its entire life and never get a whipping. Don't come to me after church and say, I never whipped my children. They turned out right. Well, you you messed up somewhere. Because to say that means you go against the Word of God. The Bible teaches that for every child. Have you ever met a Christian that went through their whole Christian life and never got a whipping from God? They lived so perfect. They lived so right that they never had to be chastened by God. No. And there's no such thing as a child that lives and born and goes through life and never needs a whip. And I have watched parents, oh, they would be ruthless on other people, their kids. Boy, you know, I'll tell you, that you know. But when it comes to their child, I just don't know why they do those things. I'll tell you why. Because they're like everybody else. They need their tail whipped. Amen. But there has to be a balance in that. 
A child ought to learn two things in life. They ought to from their father. They ought to learn correction and chastisement when they do wrong. But then they ought to learn love and mercy. There's times I whip my kids and I didn't sit around waiting to whip them. I, I used to growing up, I didn't ever believe them when they made statements like this is going to hurt me worse. I thought, who believes that? I'm like, give me the hickory and belt and let's find out. <laughs> let, me, let me tear into you a little bit, Mom, and see how, get a little hickory tea and let's see if you still testify that. <laughs> I found out it's true because they had had their share and I was getting mine. Last whipping I got, I was 15 years old. 15. Now what do you think that does for your humility? <laughs> Son, I'm going to tell you something. My mom got a hold of me. And then when my dad got home, he got a hold of me. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about I had belt welts and I had hickory stripes on me. And uh, you know what it did? I sat down on my bed. I still remember this. I sat down on my bed, Brother Craig, and I said, you know what? This is ridiculous. <laughs> I thought I've been repeating this process all of my life. I really thought this. And they proved to me at 15, they're never going to quit. I thought they're going to whip me till the day I walk out of this house if I don't stop doing some of the dumb things that I'm doing. I'm not telling you what I did, but it was so dumb. I will tell you what I did. My wife's so nervous right now. I jumped the dirt bank on a BMX bike and ripped my back of my leg open and got six stitches. I'd had four broke arms and a broke collarbone. And my mother said, if you, get, if you do anything like that again, she said, I'm going to whip you. I don't care how old you are. She said, don't go back to that dirt bank. Well, I went right back to that dirt bank. I said, well, she's not going to know and nothing's going to happen. And I, I ripped them stitches out. Had to go back to the hospital. Oh, she wore me out, stitches and all. I mean, she pulled a hickory out with my stitches on the back of my leg and wore me out all over my leg. You couldn't tell the difference in the stitches and the stripes. <laughs> and then my dad wore me out. And I sat there and I thought, this is so dumb. I, you know what? I come to the conclusion. I'm never getting another whipping the rest of my life. It did it for me. It took 15 years, but I said, that's it. No more. And you know what? That's why you ought to whip your kids. And then there's times when I would whip them, and then there's times I would set them down, and I would say, you know, less times, but I would set them down, and I'd say, you know, I should whip you for this. I really should whip you for what you've done, but I'm going to show you mercy. And I love you. Don't ever let this happen again or you know what's going to happen. You know why that's as important as a correction? Because they learn the mercy and the love of God. They learn that God's not somebody sitting in heaven with a big stick waiting to pop you the first time you do wrong. But that He is a God that means what He says. This morning, how is it with your home? I... I came to church to preach something totally, and I know I've preached a long time, too long for me. I felt such a burden this morning. 
I really want to preach to lost people, but when I come over that hill, God said, nope, not this morning. Preach on the home. I don't think revival in the church will ever be till we have revival in the home. And these are things that I just need to be reminded of, don't you? I need to be reminded of these things because they're so important. As we stand this morning, they'll come and get us a song ready. If you need to come, you mind God.